Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's such a pleasure today to be here with a member of the Santa Barbara City Planning Commission, Devin Wardlow. How are you, Devin? Thanks so much, Josh. It's great to see you. How are you doing this evening? Great. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because you and I have never really talked before. Um, I often know many of the guests that I interview, but you're somebody who has stood out on the planning commission. I cover city government and um, I've watched sort of the conversations that you've had and the perspective that you bring to city issues. And it's obviously really important and really valuable and you feel very strong on some things. So I thought it'd be great to just sort of talk to her away from a formal meeting and just have a conversation. So I'm looking forward to, to that. And plus, this has been like months in the making, right? I reached out to you a while ago. You know, we're finally here. So thanks a lot for, for making the time. Devin, you serve on the you serve on the planning commission. Let's talk right away about what are the big issues from your perspective that the city is dealing with? What kind of stuff comes your way? And what is your your perspective, your value, your input? What do you bring to that board? Yeah, so I think there's two main things that, you know, I see us really tackling right now that I'm I'm most excited about. One is housing and the real need for affordable housing in our community um, and the different ways in which we can go about achieving that goal. Um, I think that right now is a very exciting time on Planning Commission as we go into the housing element. I do think there's going to be a lot of interesting opportunities for our commission to really come together and propose ways in which we can more creatively and hopefully more stream in a more streamlined fashion address some of the larger needs we have around affordable housing, um, as well as more middle income housing. Um, those are some of the, that is one of the larger priorities I hope that we can make more progress on today. Yeah. Um, and then the second is that you're, you're quite familiar with is obviously downtown and the yeah. redevelopment of State Street and what that will look like. Um, I have a lot of opinions and thoughts on that, mostly as a resident and community, a long-term community member. Um, for me, I have a lot of friends in this community that are really excited about the, the um, progress we've seen on State Street. Um, but I also have some larger thoughts on about, you know, this is an opportunity for us to think long term, you know, this is a 30 to 50 year plan in which we hope to really be an, a real leader on what uh, a promenade like what we want at, in State Street can look like, both in terms of really emphasizing the uses that are standing the test of time, like outdoor dining, um, but also really being a leader in how we can have an inclusive State Street that allows for some of the best things about Santa Barbara, like biking and being outdoors and, and utilizing that away from cars um, and how that State Street Promenade can, can amplify that and add to that instead of take, take away from that. Um, so those are some of the issues, but in, also in terms of like one of the things that we see often on Planning Commission right now that, you know, I have a lot of strong opinions on as well as, um, you know, different projects that come forward to us that need either exemptions on parking or different kind of um, uh, specific needs based on a, in my opinion, more archaic zoning. And so how do we as a planning commission make sure that buildings that we are approving and projects that are coming forward are compliant, but also that they are that they are the use that we that we need and that want we want to build for the future of Santa Barbara. I think we need to make sure that we're not um, restricting uh, certain types of uses or developments that could be in the long-term benefit of our community based on more um, archaic zoning. And I think that at this time, this commission is in a really great position to do just that. And I think um, that's been an exciting time to, to uh, of some of the projects, as well as then um, obviously the, um, you know, any type of housing project that's coming through. Um, we're just doing the work to make sure it's compliant and hopefully in the vision of, of long-term Santa Barbara. 
Yeah, a lot there. And I want to talk about parking because you just triggered my memory of that. What is it? A, a two room hotel that was proposed that went before the planning commission. recently. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're talking about the archaic parking rules. Let, I'll ask you about that in a second. But let's talk about State Street and the State Street promenade. There was a really interesting meeting between the planning commission and the historic landmarks commission a few weeks ago. And I covered that. I, I wrote about that. And I had Cass Ensberg on the show. And we talked a little bit about, um, you know, her perspective of the meeting. I wanted to ask you, you brought a very clear perspective about what State Street should be like. And, and, and you can correct me if I'm framing this wrong. But you're basically saying we need experiential activities on State Street. We need to not be planning for retail. Retail is not coming back in the way that it once was. Amazon has already sort of changed that whole industry and restaurants are vibrancy and people really love being downtown and they love the outdoor dining. And so as we're talking about formalizing what State Street's going to look like, look like in terms of the master plan, now is the time not to regress and go back. Now's the time to say, hey, this works. It's not perfect, but let's move closer to something that works for everybody. That was the perspective you brought. And there were a couple members, uh, Cass Ansberg, Ed Lenvik, who kind of pushed back a little bit and said, hey, we got to think about everybody, people with disabilities, people in wheelchairs, elderly people. You know, Ed Lenvik talked about, hey, you know, we need a, play, a shoe shine shop on State Street or a place to fix repair shoes. And that was a very generational comment. So can you talk a little bit about what that meeting was like for you? And I know I picked up on perceived tension and, and correct me, but what was that meeting like for you? And sort of clear the air on your perspective on that issue. Of course. Um, well, thank you so much for bringing this topic up because I definitely want to thank and commend Commissioner Ensberg for her comments. Um, I really appreciate the meeting. I did not feel like it, there was tension at all. I felt like it was a very constructive discussion on the different perspectives that we all bring um, on what this future could look like. Um, as I am not an architect, I really appreciate the opportunity to hear Commissioner Ensberg's position on this. Um, and I think it's going to be a valuable um, perspective that will help inform how we move forward. But that being said, when I said, you know, um, we don't want to go back in time, I didn't mean that in terms of going back generationally in time. What I mean is that it took a long time and a, and a pandemic, a lot of discussions in the city to get to the point where we closed down State Street. So to me, it, it, it does not make sense for us to go backwards in terms of bringing back the cars and then spending another five years figuring out how to do it just right when we've already assimilated the community to whether you whether people love it or they don't, the idea that, that cars are not on State Street. And for me, the mass amount of people that I speak with, they really love what not having cars on State Street has brought to the vitality of State Street, and mostly in terms of outdoor dining. Um, and so that's really what I meant in terms of not going backwards. I see this as it's not perfect. That's 100% accurate. We have a lot of room to grow. And I see this as a huge opportunity where our city leaders and Commissioner Ensberg and individuals that really have this more deep understanding of architecture as well as city planning come together, especially with some of our transportation experts, and figure out a way in which we can develop a promenade that is not just based off another model, but that is really a new model in and of itself, mm -hmm. taking into account the benefits that we have that are intrinsic to Santa Barbara. Um, and so that's really what I mean in terms of 
we're not going backwards and the need to go forwards. Um, you obviously brought up and touched on the point of my comments about um, you know bringing back shoe stores and things like that. My, my point on that, again, I don't see that as a generational difference. I see that as when we're being tasked to develop a plan that is you know 30 to 50 years and, and is going to cost significant amount of money over time, this is that this is our opportunity, and we as city leaders have to think long term about this. When you know Lyft and Uber, you know, and I used to work for Lyft um, as a, a, a back in the day. So as somebody that's worked on on Lyft's policies for a couple of years, you know that that was a concept that was you know I would get laughed out of the room when I would say you're going to get into a car with a stranger and they're going to take you to your destination and you're not going to exchange any cash and it's all going to be mobile. You know that was a crazy idea. But today, that is something that is driving a lot of the ways in which people commute to and from downtown corridors, right? And so we need to be able to think in the ways in which we've already experienced how technology has changed city planning and how development has changed because of that technology, and then think in that perspective. It, it I, I wanted, and I, I think I tried during that meeting to really kind of express my sincere hope that we don't try to strive for the things that we loved and were nostalgic about in the past, because I too love what Santa Barbara is and what the work that the city leaders have done to make it is what, what it is today, right? Like we're, I'm so grateful to the work that Sheila Lodge has done over decades to make Santa Barbara such a livable, beautiful, and in my play, in my opinion, the best quality of life of anywhere to live in America. Um, and, and it's because of that type of leadership. But as we move forward, understanding how technology has changed, I hope that we build around, we build our policies around the concepts of future innovations versus like trying to go back to, you know, I loved when we were able to go to a, you know, a shoe store on State Street, because those, the reasons that those aren't there anymore are for reasons that are completely outside of the, of the design of our state street right it is, it is not because of the fact that we closed state street or we brought in part parklets to state street it you know it is other factors and so that's really what i mean of not going backwards and, and really thinking forward about this okay yeah so that that's good that clears the air uh, on that and then i kind of wrote the story with a little bit of tension so i appreciate that perspective let me ask you about state street just a couple of weeks ago the owner of the natural cafe was very upset, said, I'm going to close down, not going to renew the lease. There's rats downtown, rats under the parklets. And it sort of fed into this narrative that State Street and the outdoor dining, that it's a unsanitary sort of situation. And if there's flooding, there's going to be, if there's rain, there's going to be flooding and issues. Um, what do you think of outdoor dining on State Street as it currently is? And what are some of the ways to to enhance it so that uh, more people can feel comfortable going downtown. Well, first, I want to really commend the State Street Advisory Committee and all of the restaurant business owners that are working hand in hand with the advisory committee to address just these exact issues. Right. Um, I, I, as I've mentioned, I really do believe that us as a community figuring out together with the business owners, with the restaurants and with our city planners, a way to make sure that these parklets and outdoor dinings are a positive experience for both the diners, the tourists, and 
any other passerby or that is is utilizing the downtown space. I, I think that you know that article obviously it it really broke my heart because um, I love the Natural Cafe. I've been going there since I was thirteen. Um, it's my favorite, one of my favorite lunch spots. Um, but I do really believe that you know the reason that we're seeing a decline in you know um, folks going downtown for lunch in the same way that they may have used to is not because of the fact that we have parklets, but it's because of the fact that the nature of work has changed. Mm. No longer is everybody going to the office and then going on a lunch break together and going to the natural cafe. And that has, again, nothing to do with just the, the the design of State Street. It has to do with factors outside of our control, right? And so that's something where I, it, it's it's very unfortunate that that the natural cafe is closing, but I have heard from countless other restaurateurs downtown that speak very favorably of the experience that they're having with their parklets and the experience that customers have. Um, and that's really what I want to build on. I want to work with the with the businesses and with our city planners that really know how to ensure that these are both architecturally beautiful um, and, and, and compliant, but also safe and sanitary for the long term. And that's really why I'm excited that this that that, that there's so much collaboration happening between the businesses and our and our city leaders on this, because it is going to take time to make sure we get this right if we're going to do this as a long term investment. And we want to make sure that we're really giving clear direction so that our businesses, when they make that investment, it's the right and and, and it's a long-term one that we're not going to, you know, change again on them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The the work that is going into this is very large and wide. You know, it's going to take a while, but as Dave Davis says, it has to take a while because it's going to be here for a long time. So you want to do yeah. it right. Um, let's talk about what you mentioned earlier, parking. Uh, I wrote that story, the two-room hotel in the funk zone uh, that was proposed, and there was no off-street parking, and so there'd have to be a modification, and it sort of opened up this whole debate about, well, do we allow something like that? Can they use the city lot? And the funk zone sort of developed organically, and the commission has not really granted modifications for no parking for similar types of setups there. And so uh, I don't know what that individual is going to do, what they're going to come back. Uh, a lot of advice was given in terms of what could happen in that space. Uh, talking about parking in the context of the city requiring parking and how that the neck, what's that nexus to, to housing? So yeah, so I, I'm really excited about the direction that our city is moving in terms of understanding that you know, parking and the reliance on parking, that we need to move away from this. And that's really demonstrated in the fact of how we're approaching downtown and housing downtown. You know, we're we are really trying our best to make sure that any space downtown is really being utilized to the best of its ability. And I think at this point, we recognize that that having so much requirements around parking is not contributing to the vitality in the way that we hope, especially when we're looking to reduce our reliance on cars in the long term. When we have a community that is so uniquely designed in a way where biking, walking, and this kind of more walkable society is really an opportunity. Um, I believe that we should be continuing to invest and build policies that are reflective of that. And I think that when you look at the funk zone and even State Street, you know, a lot of the people that come to those areas are utilizing transportation network companies like Lyft and Uber because it is a safer um, option when you may be consuming some alcoholic beverages during your time there. And when you take that into consideration, something that was 
not a consideration at all when these zoning and parking requirements were made originally, um, it changes the way in which you would make that calculation. And during that planning commission meeting, um, I know that city staff um, on the transportation side noted that when a parking modification would be proposed to them, they would be taking into account the use of Lyft and Uber um, and how that would impact a potential need for um, a parking exemption. But in that meeting, you know, we went further to really discuss, you know, this is an opportunity where that building, if we do not make a parking modification, would go towards a use for a luxury small hotel. And to me, when we look at the future of the funk zone, that is not the type of use that I that 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 I believe that is adding value to the to the masses, both to the to majority of tourists and the locals. So we, as the city government, I believe, need to do our part to work with the property. To ensure that they can um, and that's what I think you know good city government is is working together to, to develop the best outcome yeah and so what was your final verdict on how that how should that space be used so um you know the applicant's going to come back with his best uh, case scenario of what he would like to do um but I do believe it will be uh, more of a, a restaurant slash bar type of use but we'll see what he comes back with I think he, you know, I think there was some excitement around the idea that, you know, now he can propose whatever he'd like, whereas when he um, originally took on that project, he was told that this was the only use that would be acceptable due to the parking requirements. Um, so that's a, this is an example of when, you know, if city staff and, and, and commissioners dig in, we can work with applicants to come up with the best project possible. Um, and sometimes that just takes a little bit of time and, and discussion because obviously, you know, I feel very passionately about this. I work in government um, in my in my day job. I work with government and I've worked in government. And so I feel um, I feel empowered and I believe in government and the work that government can do to better people's lives. But many people don't know how to navigate government. And if you don't, it's a lot more, it can seem more overbearing. And so it's on us, I think, as, as staff and commissioners to really help applicants kind of see through the, for, the, the forest through the trees to, to come up with what's what's best for them and best for the community. And obviously compliant in the way in which it will be um, constructed, but that we're able to actually be innovative in how we think about what's best. Yeah, and, and I've at meetings I've heard you sort of create a narrative of how developers like development agreements and how you can't do that with every project, but the idea that developers have clear understanding of the rules and what's expected, and the city has their expectations, and so that projects come together in a way that's less surprising to developers at every stage of the planning process. And so it, I have noticed that you have that sensibility toward the developer and the business side in terms of how they navigate government. Let me ask you about- I, I, I would say though that, you know, when I, when I talk about development agreements, I do think that there could be a much bigger use of development agreements um, than we are currently utilizing. And I say that because, you know, I, in my day, in my day job, I work with municipal governments across the state, and I would say that you know, working in the city of Santa Barbara, we are one of the most fortunate communities. We are a place that developers want to be. We are a place that is the the main attraction. So when when we, when developers approach us, I do believe that we as a community and as a city should feel strong in pushing back on what our expectations are as well and what we want in return, um, because. It, 
we we aren't just like every other community. We do have leverage in a bigger way than a lot do. And I, and I think that's something that we should be able to explore more, but working more hand in hand with the developers so that we can address and make sure that it's a streamlined process for them too. So that there's a benefit for them if we are going to get more external, what I would call community benefits for us in exchange. Right. And, and quickly, I want to move on to your personal story in a second. On the issue of housing, is Santa Barbara doing a good job with its AUD program? Of course, we have our ADUs, which a lot of people choose to do or apply for because that's more ministerial. Um, AUDs are bigger projects, and we, that brings up the whole issue of, well, there's not a lot of rent. Uh, there's no rent control. It's market rate with the exception of the inclusion percentage. Is that really solving the housing problem? Um, if you had to sort of explain Santa Barbara's housing situation to people not from Santa Barbara, would you say Santa Barbara is doing a good job of building affordable and middle-class housing? Well, I would say that we are not doing a good job on that. Um, and I think that we have not been doing a good job on that for many decades. And that's why, that's part of why we are now in this extreme price crunch where rents have gone up so substantially where the price of housing alone some of which have doubled in the last three years since the pandemic um you know i grew up in this community um all my friends you know we're all at that age where people are trying to buy a home and it is a really really daunting task um many of my friends you know work in service industries here and are supporting this community and it's it's unfortunate that we're now in a position where we don't see a path to home ownership anymore um and then on top of that 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 rents are as high as they are um so I think this this city has a lot of work to do in terms of building affordable housing um but I also recognize that as a is an extremely desirable location that now with the onset of the ability to work from home has only become uh, an opportunity for even more um, people from not only Los Angeles, across America, but across the world. Um, and because of that, it's going to be even harder to ensure that there's affordable housing for residents and long-term community members in our community. Um, and so that's why I really do believe, uh, back to the point about the developers, um, I, I really do believe that we should be asking for more. I, I believe that when we're giving community benefits, height exemptions to developers that we should be seeing more than you know 15 percent i think we should be seeing a, a higher return on what is affordable housing um and you know on the on the adu program you know obviously you probably saw the hearing yesterday um, i'm excited with the direction we're going i think that we are taking good steps to ensure that more housing is available in our community um, but, you know, still, I, 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 you know, it's there's still a lot to be desired, right? This this program, um, this city has spent a lot of time working hard to make this program work. And yet this there's no way in which we can really ensure or enforce that these ADUs are actually becoming part of the rental market. Right. That is just a hope that we have. We hope happens. Um, but I do think that we've done the right step in that way to work on the larger scale projects. Um, one of which that I that I have to say is, you know, I'm really hopeful that when we're looking at um, building our new police station and we look at our old police station that likely needs to be tor torn completely down, that already is in um, an interesting zoning that would allow for residential. I really hope that our city will really consider this as an opportunity to do a truly affordable housing project um, with the housing authority here in Santa Barbara. I know that Rob Fredericks has spoken on this. I've spoken 
spoken on this. A number of commissioners have spoken on this. And I just think that this could be a real example of us taking a first step of, of a truly affordable project and really give the reins over to someone like Rob Fredericks, obviously working in, con in conjunction with city staff as a whole. But I, I, I hope that we can have something like that in the next couple of years that we can really point to as a success in terms of real affordable housing. Yeah, and I mean, the City Housing Authority obviously has great projects all around town, but if uh, the city can partner on that side, it'll really send a strong message. Hey, we we we, we want to uh, also continue our efforts to build workforce housing and affordable housing. So that's, that's exciting, that, that piece of land. Uh, Devin, you are a local uh, person. You uh, grew up here. Uh, so can, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about your story. A lot of people grow up here and they kind of get pushed out. Um, if they don't inherit homes from their parents, then they move to, you know, Oxnard, Ventura, St. North County, or just somewhere else. And it's unfortunate because you kind of all, all this talent that we have that it goes to other communities so can you talk a little bit about growing up here and uh, you know why you you chose to stay here yeah um so i i love santa barbara i think anyone that knows me knows that i love santa barbara it is my it, it is it is my home and it is something that i love dearly as as an integral part of who I am. Um, I moved to Santa Barbara when I was 13. Um, this was the first place that I would ever really call home. I moved a lot as a kid. Um, so when I came here, this community really became a big part of my life and my family. I would say that a part of the reason that I've been able to have the successes that I've had in life is because of the fact that I moved to this community when I was 13. And I was able to be brought up um, through Santa Barbara High, had some and some amazing mentors and really was able to grow in a way that I don't think I would have had the opportunity if I had stayed in other communities. Um, I then ended up going to UCSB. I loved UCSB. It was a great experience as well. Um, and then I I can go I can go in deeper if you'd like, let, but um, I ended up let, moving. Let me, let me interrupt <laughs> if you don't mind. What did your parent what why did you come here at 13? What, what what did your parents do or what was that situation? My mom had a, we, we'd moved a lot when I was young um, and my, I, my godfather lived in Santa Barbara. And so when we were moving again, we chose Santa Barbara as the best place um, to make it a home. Oh, great. And that's, you know, I moved here um, from Manhattan. That was uh, where I was moving from at that point. Oh, okay. um, and so obviously this is a little bit different. Um, I was born in Los Angeles though, but I was moving from Manhattan. And um, so for me, this was a huge change, but it was um, exactly what I was looking for. And for it, it ended up being really my home. And so for me, I just care so deeply about the community that I feel that really helped make me who I am today. Um, I had, I think, one of the best experiences you could have uh, at Santa Barbara High School, just in terms of edu education and support. Um, I'm really grateful for that. I understand that in most communities in California, let alone across the state, you don't have access to public education the way that we did. Um, and I was just very fortunate for that. Um, so to, to me, this is, this is one of the best places to live. Um, and that's part of why I'm so passionate about working in the development space, because what we decide to, to develop in this community will be here for the long term. And so I want to make sure that we're able to leave a Santa Barbara that was so amazing that for me, when I first came to Santa Barbara. Great. What did you study at UCSB? Political science. So I've always been very into politics. Um, I started interning uh, in all the little political organizations when I was first moved here. Um, 
my first day of school uh, was 9-11 in, in Manhattan. So uh, when 9-11 when happened, I was really impacted um, and immediately very interested in politics and Middle Eastern affairs. Um, and so that was something that I ended up uh, <laughs> pursuing all through high school and college. And then I ended up studying in the Middle East and writing my thesis um, in the West Bank. Um, so for me, wow. I've always been interested in international affairs. Over my career, you know, I've gotten, uh, you know, I ended up working in the federal government later on in life. And um, then today working in municipal governments, um, I'm really excited and I really value uh, the the work that we can do at a local level um, versus a lot of the other sides of government. Yeah. So, you know, so much of what I see is your your volunteer work, your political work on the planning commission, but your day job. Right. And you referenced you work with municipalities. How do you make your money? What do you do, uh, if you don't mind sharing? Sure. Well, um, I work, uh, I'm the VP of Public Affairs for Embark, which is a cannabis retail company based out of Sacramento, but we work throughout the state. Um, and I've been really working at this intersection of government and emerging um, industries or emerging technology throughout my entire career. Um, I worked, I ended up being an intern at the White House, um, and that's how I ended up in D.C. Uh, in the Obama years. And that was an obviously an incredible experience for me. I really learned a lot. It really um, positioned my career and more towards going into business and working at that intersection. Um, I then ended up working for Secretary Perez at the Department of Labor and really worked on um, being his kind of business advisor, the person that was uh, addressing a lot of the concerns from the business community during the Obama administration, um, which was a fascinating role where I learned a lot of things. Um, and then I ended up going to Facebook and working in their DC shop doing um, congressional affairs work, doing a national program in which we would, you know, do large scale events with members of Congress um, in their districts, really demonstrating the value to small businesses that Facebook could bring. Um, and then worked at Lyft, working um, uh, in the DC shop, um, really <laughs> opening their White House liaison role and kind of working with the federal administration uh, during the, the transition from Trump. Wow. Which was fascinating. So you've had a amazing- part of it, but I ended up coming back to Santa Barbara. <laughs> So you've had an amazing career, amazing experiences working in high levels of federal government and big time corporations. So that's you, you've had an opportunity to do a lot of things and serve time in the Middle East. And you choose Santa Barbara as your home to give back to. So yes. that's fantastic. And the company you work for, you can work remotely, even though it's yes. Sacramento. And mm -hmm. uh, what what do you think of the public perception? You said you do what public affairs uh is the public perception of cannabis uh, at a place in time where where people can talk about it without thinking or having judgment of it? Are we there yet, or is it still a stigmatized, you know, legal drug? Um, wh wh what do you where do you think we're at in our culture with the whole cannabis conversation? Yeah, um, so I would say that the discussion and sentiment around cannabis in communities has evolved substantially since um, when I started this about almost three or four years ago now. Um, and I'd say that is really a testament to the fact that the legal cannabis industry, um, the way in which communities are experiencing it, they're seeing that there is not a negative impact in their lives. And ideally, they're seeing an actual positive impact. So a lot of the fears that many were concerned of coming true about, you know, youth access to cannabis storefronts or loitering outside and, um, you know, neighborhoods going down, you know, that the, the exact opposite has really happened. And I would say across the state, you see community after 
community city council, chief of police after chief of police talking about how the arrival of retail cannabis has actually increased the safety in their community and that there has no, not been any negative impacts. And that's something that I think as community by community, we continue to integrate responsible legal retail cannabis. Um, it will be through those experiences that individuals across the state begin to accept and understand that cannabis can be a positive benefit for individuals, um, as well as can be a good community steward as well. And, and really, my role is really working with community and government in, in that process, um, really bridging the gap and, and talking to those that are most concerned and really working with them and bringing them into the fold to address their concerns. Um, what I like most about my job is that I work very closely with the nonprofit communities um, in each community that we serve. And that's something that, you know, I'm able to really make an impact in with my community advisory boards to allocate significant community benefit funding, which is something that is unique to the cannabis industry and the way in which at a local level we're contributing significant dollars towards community priorities. And it's something that I think many other industries could emulate and we could have a more positive relationship um, at, with, with businesses in that way. Um, I do believe that you're only as strong as your you know, weakest operator. And so it's important that the industry come together as a whole and really do positive community work together, um, because, again, that's the way in which you're really going to um, win the trust of community community members that cannabis can be and is safe um, to be integrated into communities. Do you have any thoughts on the whole carpinteria odor issue that has plagued uh, certainly Supervisor Williams and there's a whole group that is um solely focused on that issue and targeting DOS um from a public relations affairs sort of perspective do you have any thoughts on on that issue and and how that should be uh present how that issue can be resolved in a place where it's not attacking the industry attacking DOS and uh making it such a personal fight that unfortunately is real in the community yeah, it, you know, obviously anybody that lives in Carpinteria um, has smelled the, the smell of cannabis and it is and it's and it is unfortunate and it's something that we as, as, a, as a county need to do better at enforcing. Um, I would say, though, you know, when you look at cannabis legalization and what has happened across the state, Santa Barbara County was really a leader in this in, in cult on the cultivation side. Of course, there were some mistakes that were made, but on a whole, we, this board made a decision to be a leader in that space. And that's exactly what we did. I'm really proud of the work that the county has done, both on the cultivation and on the retail side, because it's paved the way for other communities to as well. Now, a lot of communities have learned from some of those mistakes, and that's a positive in and of itself. Is there more room to um, fine tune and do better? Of course. Um, but I do think that being the first to do something large like this, it, the, there are risks that come with that. And that is what happened here. What was the spark that made you think, hey, I want to apply for the planning commission. Like, I, th I think I can do this. Did somebody suggest to you to do it? Or um, it's obviously a risk. You take a big risk to, you have to interview in front of them and you don't know what they're going to do. They might tell you no, and that could be deflating and you have to decide where you want to come back. And then worse, if you get picked, Oh my goodness. I mean, like how many hours a week are you spending on this stuff? But what was the thing that made you say, Hey, I want to try this. So first, uh, if I, you know, gave up every time someone says no, then you get nowhere. So um, I applied for planning commission twice. Oh. Um, the fact that I have been asked this so many times of who put you up to being on planning commission is really quite startling and kind of 
frustrating for me. I have been very passionate and, and, and involved in politics and passionate about my community since I was 14 years old. Um, I have worked, you know, for Congress, uh, Congresswoman Lois Capps. I did, you know, field work. I, I have always been involved in this community. So for me, after really feeling like, okay, I've worked in the federal government, I've worked on the, uh, in the private sector, I've worked with municipal governments across the state, I've worked with many planning commissions, city managers, and city councils to implement very, uh, at times, controversial ordinances, but then a year into it and am able to say with full success that this has been a positive development for a community. I believe that that experience of really being able to creatively address a policy issue, address people's concerns, put it into motion, and then have an actual outcome that's positive for everyone is something that is a an experience that I can bring to many different aspects of development. And so when I, from my knowledge of politics, I know that planning commission is a really important part of how a develop the city develops. So to me, as somebody that, you know, is I am not ready for council or anything like that. And I love the city council members that we have, I viewed planning commission as a really good opportunity for me to utilize the skills that I've learned in my career, not as an architect, though we have some great ones on commission and we have people that are real great experts in, you know, the nitty gritty of land use, but I'm really hoping that, and I, and I feel like I have, is bringing the experience of more creatively thinking about policy and how policy can help bring about more of the, 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 the change or the, the improvements that we want to see and not just seeing policy as this is the rule and we must follow it, but seeing policy as the catalyst to, to develop our community the way in which we want to. And, and so that's really why I wanted to get on planning commission, because as somebody that works so closely with government, I really do see so many opportunities, oftentimes missed opportunities. And, and if there was just somebody that could really say, hey, why don't we think about it this way? You know, it, it could have turned out in a more positive way. And question. Yeah. Yeah. And I apologize. I didn't mean to. And specifically because I care about that a lot. The affordable housing piece, I yeah. think, you know, when you look at the commission and council, it is important to have people that are renters on the commission. Um, you know, I'm currently in the process of looking for a new place. And I can tell you, it is startling for me um, as a professional that I'm struggling as hard as I am to find something that I would be comfortable living in and working from home that I can afford. Right. And that's something that, you know, and I know that I'm not alone in that. And I know that I'm not, you know, in the worst position. And I know that there's a lot of other individuals in our community that have lived here for a long time that are now being displaced. And so for me, you know, I, I care tremendously about that. And I want to do everything I can to to work to protect and ensure that there is some affordable ho housing options for residents. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, just Especially a couple... the long-term residents that have been so long. Um, I'll stop. <laughs> Just a couple of things. Um, I, I didn't mean to imply somebody put you up to, to running. I apologize if that was the implication, uh, but uh, more just so, you know, how did it happen? Um, and it sounds like you're very self-motivated, but you did say something that I want to ask you about sort of if every time somebody told you, no, you, you know, listen, you wouldn't you know do anything or whatever, how you phrased it. Can you talk, I mean, somebody with your resume, I mean, my goodness, uh, all the companies you've worked for, all the work overseas, the government work, and just hearing you talk, you're a fast talker, you know, I'm just like keeping up with it. Slow it's, it down. You got to tell me to slow it down. You're on the go, you know, so can you maybe just a couple minutes or just a couple of comments on, you know, what, what have been your biggest challenges that you've had to overcome in terms of your success? Um, you know, 
can you talk a little bit about how you've been able to be successful and navigate these worlds, even though we know you're playing at a high level here, you must have had some, some major challenges. Um, well, I would say that the biggest thing is really just being relentless. I think that is the biggest thing about being successful in something that you're trying to do is to never give up. And so for me, you know, I'm, I feel like in some ways I'm a lucky one where I really, from a young age was like, I want to make a difference and I want to be involved in politics and I really want to understand the world. Um, and because I kind of had that drive, I had a general direction of where I wanted to go, but I didn't really have the resources or the connections or even the really like the educational skill set to be, you know, walking into the White House. Um, and so for me, I think I really took a lot of risks and pursued things that people kind of told me not to like when I wanted to write my thesis um, in the West Bank that was something that was really frowned upon by the UC system um, and I, I ended up doing it anyways and I got it approved and it all worked out and it was one of the best experiences of my life that then ended up um, allowing me to you know I think you know, have the pathway to going and being an intern at the White House and eventually working in the Obama administration so so to me um, I think pushing the envelope and trying different experiences that maybe people you know don't think is the right path but you know for yourself is the right path um, is 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 what what I've really uh, taken to heart in my experiences and I feel like has has been a big driving force of why I feel like I've gotten to do a lot of the things that I set out to do. Mm -hmm. And last thing, since you've worked for so many big tech companies, do you have any thoughts on Elon Musk and, and Twitter? And do you have any thoughts? Is Twitter <laughs> dead now because of Elon Musk? Or you're probably not a social media person, but what do you think of that whole slap? <laughs> Well, thank you. Yes. No, I'm not a social media person at all. I'm like horrible at it. Um, you know, I actually think that this will be a fascinating um, experience to watch what happens with Elon Musk and, and Twitter. Um, I'm not a Twitter user, so I, I'm much less affected than most, but um, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. But I, I don't have any um, specific insights on, on Musk. And uh, last thing, politically, I know that you are um, very well liked among the Santa Barbara uh, County Democratic Central Committee and the, the Democratic Party, and you're on the Planning Commission. Uh, do you, um, Planning Commission, is this just sort of a thing for you, or you know, you're going to stick around and maybe try other political avenues down the road? What do you think? Yeah, so I think I've always said I wouldn't want to run for office myself. I love um, supporting oh. candidates and being involved politically just in terms of, you know, uh, paying attention to policy and what's being developed. But um, actually, now that I've started being more involved and on the other side of the dais, I do think at some point later in life, I would love to run um, for, you know, a city council um, because I think in doing this, I'm just getting more and more excited about the opportunities that we have yeah. um, and also really seeing that. And I believe that in our community, we're really fortunate because this is something I see that's unique to us in a lot of ways is the individuals that work in our government and that work to support this community genuinely and truly care about this community and what is best for this community. And that that is not the case across the board. Mm -hmm. um, and so when when I continue to work more with our city, I get more excited because I feel that because we are all aligned in the intent of doing what's best for Santa Barbara, we have the opportunity to do a, to do even more. Um, and that's not the case in a lot of cities that I work in. And so for, for me, this is just a it's a real opportunity um, that where I feel that I could work in a political environment, but that it would be more focused on what is best for this community, which is really what I would be most interested in doing. So maybe one day, um, but not right now. <laughs> great. Well, Devin Ward, though, I really appreciate you taking the time to have the conversation. And it's great to 
learn your perspective in this environment because you know being a reporter and just watching meetings and watching people say things for a couple minutes and vote um, that's important but it's always best to get to know the people and have a conversation and get a clear understanding of their perspective so certainly will color how i write my stories going forward so thanks for the clarity on the issues and uh you bring a very good perspective to the planning commission, you know, you and, you know, Gabe and just the others who are uh, speaking from a, a different generation. And as somebody who's covered city hall for 20 years, a long time, um, it's nice and refreshing to see a new energy and a new vibe, even among the planners, but also among the, some of the electeds and some of the appointees. So thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Josh. This was really nice, and um, I appreciate the nice comments. And I, I really can't say enough good things about you know the opportunity to be on planning commissions. So thank you so much for your time. Right. Great. Take care.